The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. In a changing world, how will you adapt? In episode 14, join us in the arena as we chat with Rosanna Deruthi, Global Head of Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging at LinkedIn. Hey, listeners, welcome to In the Arena. I'm Jackie Goldberg. And I'm Leah Smart. And today we are with Rosanna Deruthi, Global Head of Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging at LinkedIn. So if you want to give a quick hello. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here and have an opportunity to spend time with you. Yeah, and we are so excited to be sitting down with Rosanna today. What we want to explore in today's conversation is getting to know you and your amazing story through understanding the power of relationships to self, to others, and to work. And we know our listeners are going to benefit from the wisdom that you share and hopefully take something valuable away that that they can apply to their lives. And for our listeners, Rosanna has spent the last 20 years of her career in human resources, diversity and leadership and development. Currently, she's a global head of diversity, inclusion and belonging at LinkedIn and calls herself a talent alchemist on her LinkedIn profile. There is so much to Rosanna, so much that we can say and introduce her, but I feel like we would be doing a disservice if we took that. So, Rosanna, we would love to hear from you in a few words. Who are you? Gosh, I'm the daughter of an amazing Puerto Rican mom and a Cuban dad. And so, yes, my life is in part the story of immigrants who came to this country to begin an amazing life, a life that they've given me. And I'm that person who wants to make a difference in the world. Well said. I think that that line right there, I think, sums up so much of what you bring to LinkedIn, to bring you bring into this room, you bring to everyone that you interact with. So thank you so much for being here. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. So what we love to do to kick us off is a few speed dating questions, just fun, quick questions to get to know one another. And then we'll really dive into the interview. Sound good? Awesome. Okay. So first question, Rosanna. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Do you have a pet right now? Two. Yeah. <laughs> Nala and Harley. Oh. They're 11. Uh, Nala is 13 and Harley's 11, and they just make me smile. Oh, I can probably go into a whole conversation about, about dogs, dogs right now, yes. but I'm going <laughs> to, in, in the interest of time, let's move forward. All right. And what's a silly childhood memory you have? Uh, it's probably going to Adventures Inn in Whitestone, Queens, and riding mm. the go-karts over and over again until I finally ended up concussed because I became such a confident driver in my go-kart rally that I ended up bumping into another car and hitting my head against the steering wheel. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's something you don't forget. Driven. (laughs) Driven. (laughs) Hard-headed, too. Great. Rosanna, what is one small thing that brings you happiness in your day-to-day? Thinking about my family. Hmm. They, They light up my life and it's it's an evolution to really understand the power of people who love you without question mm-hmm. unconditionally and so it's a blessing it's wonderful awesome what location is still on your travel bucket list probably the greek isles mm. i have this fantasy of celebrating a major birthday with you know a dozen of my closest friends sailing the greek isles i'll be there 
When's that happening? Yeah. It, you know, it, it may be in a couple of years. We don't know yet, but we're going to think about this one. This might be the, the next major milestone. I, I hope All you right. get to cross that off your bucket list. <laughs> Thank you. And last question, are you a camera person or are you a live-in-the-moment kind of person? Live-in-the-moment I am the person who brings the camera and forgets to take pictures <laughs> and then wants to kick herself for not having taken the photo. Mm-hmm. But when I'm taking photos, I realize I'm just not present to what's really going on. Yeah, uh, I always try to take mental photos. I do a little snap. Oh, that's a good practice. Yeah, that's a, that's a mindfulness practice, too. Like, I want to take a photo, but I don't. Let me take it mentally, bring yeah. it into my – I love it. I need to incorporate that. Yeah, yeah. that's a great little piece of advice. Awesome. Okay, so so away from the speed dating bit, um, we want to take a look at your story a little bit, and we'll start with relationship to self. So the first question that we have to you just to get to know you a bit better, what are three words to describe your life journey so far? Unexpected, spontaneous, and blessed. Mm. Wow. Can you share a little bit more about why those three words? Sure. When I was much younger... Um, Being the daughter of of a doctor and a mom who worked with him, my journey began with this idea of a very planned life. My education would be planned. My career would be planned. My life would be planned. And as my life evolved and I matured, became an adult, there were many surprises thrown at me. Uh, When my parents separated and divorced, I wasn't able to complete my education. So I wasn't able to, at that time, fulfill on the career I had planned. And in fact, when we fast forward to present day, the career I have was one that didn't exist when I was younger. The family I have was the kind of family that would have not been accepted in society, being a lesbian woman who's married. I never planned on having children, and I have a 25-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old son as a result of that relationship. And so those unexpected and unplanned things have led to the most amazing blessings because I wasn't fixated upon what life was supposed to look like, but recognized through my own evolution and journey that I really didn't know what it might look like. And it's been it's been amazing. I love hearing that things that you didn't even know existed are now a real foundational part of your life. So it's sort of like the idea of possibility everywhere. It really is, even when we think about societal, social kinds of possibilities. I've been having this conversation a lot uh, a lot lately. We've recently celebrated 50 years of Stonewall, and less than 20 years ago, I was on the board of, of one of the leading litigation impact LGBT organizations, Lambda Legal. And I recall being a part of the board committee working on strategy, and we were asking ourselves questions They were oriented towards how do we create an environment where the possibility of a same-sex couple having a committed relationship that was legally recognized was viable. And at that time, domestic partnership was the definition of a, a legally recognized relationship. It was immediately in the aftermath of DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. And it was just not viable to most of us to think that in less than 20 years, we'd be at a stage where in the United States of America, marriage equality exists. So the idea of my being married to the person I love and dreamed of having in my life is just, it's a dream come true. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, being out wasn't even a consideration, Mm -hmm. much less marrying and having a family of this kind. Yeah. Yeah. And that 
connection to authenticity, which we talk a lot about here on our podcast and here at LinkedIn, just allowing you to be your authentic self and seeing that. You know, two of the words that you said, unexpected and spontaneity, followed by blessed. And I'm wondering, how long did it take you to own that story, to to find the blessings in the unexpected and the spontaneity? Was it a one-time thing or just a journey? It's of- a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. It's very much the blessings constantly manifest. And part of it is even the willingness to declare, admit, you know, take the risk to say this is what I want in life. And early in my career as an example, I, you know, was not only in the closet at work, I was in the closet in my personal life because I was concerned with the judgments and in particular the judgment of me as an individual and whether I was a good person or a bad person or equipped Mm. to do the work that I was supposed to be doing. Would I gain the respect of people or would I alienate people? And so, you know, as I think so how we evolve and how we grow and I think about how society impacts us, it's really those steps that we take to be brave that then open the doors for you know, the unaccepted acceptance for the unaccepted and powerful acceptance of self at at the very start. Because if you don't begin with yourself, it's really impossible for the rest of the world to accept you. Well, I love that you talk about having the willingness to declare what we want. I think people are so afraid of that. And then also the bravery to be more of who we are. And I think all of us, part of the reason we started this podcast was this struggle, right? This ongoing struggle of who am I and how do I embrace all of that so that I can show up as myself every time and feel like I'm truly, truly living in my core. How do you or what would you tell our listeners about how to how to start embracing all of who they are? You know, who we are, who I am is the possibility of love. And for me, that fervent wish for others is to recognize there is no absoluteness in right or wrong. There is just this continuous journey that we we experience to get to know ourselves. I think we live with the presumption that we're supposed to know ourselves and ambiguity or uncertainty is not acceptable. But in reality, our lives are all about ambiguity and uncertainty. <laughs> and the only way we learn is by being curious enough and demonstrating uh, something that, that I've come to, to term uh, through the work that we're engaged in cultural humility. We've been really fortunate to work with the inclusion group and Dorica Blackman and to learn this powerful term of cultural humility, which is really about this lifelong journey and commitment to learning and to being curious about others, about their cultures, about their experiences. And in so doing, you begin to learn about yourself, about your own culture, about what brings you joy and what motivates you and what stimulates you and what energizes you. And if you don't have access to that, it's very difficult to understand that in another individual. There's almost a presumption that there's only one way to accomplish that, and yet there are so many different ways. And what makes cultural humility so hard for us? You know, you mentioned uncertainty. And I mean, so many of us, me me included, have a controlling nature, right? And there are things that we feel like if we are controlling what is there, that's actually better than just letting go. But what would you say? I know there's a lot of difficulties around it, but what would you say one of the most challenging aspects? I think sometimes we believe that accepting someone else's difference in some way compromises or makes us less valued or less important. Mm -hmm. 
I believe the world is a large and generous place where we all get to fit and we all get to belong. And our differences don't take away from us, they add to us. So we grow from other people's differences. We grow from new experiences. We grow from our own ability to deal with the unexpected and to have resilience, to have acceptance for not knowing all the time. And certainly curiosity is a positive thing if we're willing to accept without judging the curiosity. I mean, some people get fixated on taking information in and then determining is it true or false. Well, some of it may be true, some of it may be false, but what's possible in the information you have and how does it empower you and how does it empower others? I'm of the belief that anything that disempowers you probably isn't true. Hmm. Anything that diminishes you probably isn't true. Anything that diminishes or takes away from another probably isn't true. Mm. That's my, my own personal philosophy. Do you have any practices that help you access a lot of this? I feel like this would be really powerful for people who don't know how to move into this space yet. I read a lot and I listen to different programs, uh, news programs. I think my biggest practice is I try not to listen to just the things I agree with. Mm-hmm. And I think as human beings, we often seek our likeness and we want to hear things that remind us that we're right as opposed to sometimes we really need to listen to the other side to understand what's going on and engage in conversations that run deeper than the superficial opinionation that we we share. There are people in my life that we don't agree on a number of things, but we can respect each other and we can learn from each other through conversation. And I've learned that sometimes people think that they don't, they don't agree with each other because they express their points of view differently. But if you listen really keenly, sometimes there's more in common mm-hmm. inside of those differences than they, they've allowed themselves to understand because we just don't talk to people we believe we're going to have a disagreement with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So open-mindedness is the one thing that's coming to my mind in terms of this conversation. Mm-hmm. I feel like we are speaking about such um, beautiful, fundamental, great things. And I'm wondering, how do we bring this into the workplace? Can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to here? How do you talk about cultural humility in the workplace? How do you bring some of these life lessons and wisdom into it? Sure. You know, for me, it's easy to come into an environment like LinkedIn's where compassion is what our leaders lead with. And so this idea or notion of compassion grants us the space for this kind of powerful listening. And it grants us the ability to understand how can I empower another? How do I inspire another? How do I create the space for that person to show up, be themselves, contribute their authenticity? And my work here is oriented around, I think, three core elements of what we do. One is the ability to find great talent, recognizing that the universe yields amazing talent, but opportunity isn't democratically distributed. And Mm -hmm. so great talent exists everywhere, and it's up to us to be able to discover where that talent is and provide Mm -hmm. opportunity for that talent to come into organizations like ours and thrive. Second is when you have great talent in your midst, how do you create an environment for everyone to belong? And the power of that is belonging is something that we create for another. 
It's a listening that we grant. It's a support that we grant that allows people to feel trust and psychological safety and a sense of power in being themselves. And that power of self-expression is something that's, for me, magical. And I think with another person, it's actually the alchemy. And then the last thing that I create is the ability for us to look at not just our own workforce, but to look at how in engaging in our relationships outside of LinkedIn, we can create the kind of culture where all talent thrives, where diverse talent feels it can belong, where people who are different, so when I say diverse right now, I'm meaning people who are different from whatever that norm might be, wherever it might be, whether it's in the United States or it's in India or it's in China, that those individuals too can have a space to create economic opportunity, that those individuals too have a space to contribute to society and be accepted. Wow. One of the things that you mentioned that sort of caught me was talking about belonging and that it's an opportunity we create in another. Where do you see that created? How do you see that created? And whose responsibility is it, right? With diversity, people, like you said, think about those who are different. So how do we how do we bring that in for everyone to actually create belonging for each other? You know, belonging exists in the big and small things that we do often. I believe we all have a responsibility to create it for each other. Certainly, when we come into our teams, the power of team is that we all contribute. And belonging is that space that you grant by getting to know another individual, Mm -hmm. listening to them, and allowing them to share, express, contribute in the way that they best can. And that's a challenge for any individual who is taught how the world should be and how we should think about things and how we're supposed to do things. It's usually a lot of how things should, could, would be, as opposed to how they are. So belonging is really being able to meet someone where they are and welcome them in, allowing them to feel truly welcomed, valued, and appreciated so that they're able to do their best work. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort 
and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. You had shared a story with some of the managers around some point in your 20s about having a conversation with a manager. I don't want to tell the story for you, sure. and I don't know, you know if you're open to sharing it, but there was something around trust, trust with your manager or trust in, in the workplace, right, and and bringing your whole self. And I'm, I'm interested for people who feel like, you know, work is work and home is home and I don't need to open up and why do I need to to be that way? Can you shed some light, um, whether it's from your experience or just what you see, what the importance is there to maybe open up a little bit to share that vulnerability, to create that space for trust and what the impact is? I'd be glad to. So I was in my late 20s, and it was my first corporate environment. I had been promoted a couple of times, and I was in a role as a generalist working for someone who was just lots of fun, and he was you know, a really good manager, and I was going through my performance review, and he was telling me how you know I was exceeding expectations, had a great relationship with my clients, was creating a great deal of value in my role as an HR business partner. And we were now in that part of the conversation, it's the development conversation, where ideally it's kind of that inspirational space of where do we go from here and how do you grow? And my manager says to me, you know, Rosanna, you're like a round ball. It's really hard to get a handle on you. And those words have remained etched in my life. As I look back, I see so many things, however, in those words. I see the truth of a manager who is trying to create the space for us to have a candid conversation. What I wasn't aware of then that I am now is I really didn't trust him. And the conversation in my own head was a conversation of, you know, what do you mean I'm around? <laughs> you don't need to know anything more about me. My work is great. And that should stand as evidence of my performance, my potential, and my ability. Anything else is out of bounds. It shouldn't be in the work environment. My personal life and who I really am, all those things aren't consequential. And yet what that inflection point signaled for me was to grow into leadership, you do have to step in to the circle and share who you are. You have to give people the experience of understanding. So what I learned with my boss, who's now still a good friend, was he was just trying to get to know me. And at the time, I wasn't out at work. At the time, I kept my personal life so separate from anything I did at work that in many ways, I was like a ghost. I was just the professional, but where's the person? Bob didn't know what I really cared about. He didn't know what motivated me. He didn't know what my dreams were. He only knew that I was this you know, talented, emerging leader, but where's the leader? Who's that individual who through that vulnerability, through that willingness to step in and share who I was, could serve as an access for someone else to not only see themselves, but be themselves as well. Mm. And so I can look back many years later and see it was really a clarion call for the importance of a leader stepping in, being themselves and granting another person the space to be themselves as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, it's like every time you're authentic, you give others permission to then mm -hmm. be authentic also. Precisely. Yeah. I'm curious. I don't know if this will be your answer. It will be this manager. But when you look back at your life or today, what has been one of the most impactful relationships for you, whether at work or outside of work? 
gosh, there have been so many. And I think that's perhaps the biggest tale. The most impactful relationship for me, like many others, probably has been the relationship with my mom. Mm. I can see all of the times when my mother told me, you can do this. You can do anything. You are so talented, you can't even imagine. And early on, she granted me the freedom to have dreams about what I wanted to be and the kind of career I wanted to have. I can say that my fifth grade teacher, Dennis Rinsler, made a huge difference in my life. First, we put on West Side Story as the class play, <sighs> and he allowed me to be riff. Now, we're going back a long time. Talk about crossing roles where I got to play a boy, um, where I, as a black Latina woman, got to play an Irish boy <laughs> in one of the, the classic uh, fight musicals, love story musicals mm-hmm. around. And so, yeah, Mr. Rinsler played a, a pivotal role helping me express and be and not putting me in a box. He encouraged me to write, which was really an amazing thing as well. I've always loved writing, and it's a wonderful way of, of being able to cathartically uh, relax mm-hmm. and and get a sense of of just what's present for me. There are people in the work environment. Bob, definitely, and I didn't realize it until many years later, that Bob was really trying to tell me, hey, it's okay for you to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, at that time, I don't know how safe it was. I was fearful of, you know, people knowing that I was gay. I recognized that as a woman and as a woman of color, there were things that I needed to be able to do to demonstrate and create trust in others. I had to find my own space of psychological safety and my Mm self-confidence. But there comes a moment where you have to yield and not be so self-reliant and invest in your relationships and that trust in others, which provides such a strong base of social capital, such a strong base of people being able to contribute to you, advocate for you, uh, point directions out to you, give feedback, so many different things. So there have been numerous individuals who have been influential in my journey. Mm-hmm. What I really heard from that is it's okay to seek permission from others, but what we really need is permission for our, from ourselves. And, be ourself. and that is perhaps the scariest thing that we sometimes encounter. If we are busy trying to be what we think others want for us, mm-hmm. we lose ourselves to people-pleasing or we lose ourselves to pretending or we lose ourselves to, I can't reveal that weakness because I won't get the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So granting that permission is perhaps the bravest act we can engage in. Because once you step into being yourself, there is a power that isn't equal to anything else anyone can give you. Yeah, It is a sense of acceptance. It is a sense of self-love. It is a sense of appreciation that also provides the important tolerance for ambiguity that the world will often yield, the tolerance for uncertainty that sometimes occurs because the future isn't always knowable. Yeah. It feels like so many of us, I I was thinking the same thing, Jackie, and I was thinking of it as trust. And so like, was it trust of yourself or is it trust that others weren't building with you? And it feels like it really is about trusting ourselves to step into our own authenticity. And we look all over the world, we look everywhere to find external things to make us validated. And the recognition that you end up having eventually is like, it's really all right here. The power of being is what 
enables the opportunities and the possibilities we want in life. And that externalization of someone else giving it to us really is almost the phantom illusion Mm -hmm. that we exist inside of. But we don't recognize that loving isn't a conditional act. You love because you choose to love. You're happy because you choose to be happy. And in a world where conditions give us being, we're constantly going to be questioning. We're constantly buffeted by what's wrong or right or working or not working. We live miserable lives Mm -hmm. because we have no ability to have that personal locus of peace, which we sometimes call control, but I like to call it peace. (laughs) (laughs) When, you know, we, we talk a lot about our own transformation throughout these different episodes of In the Arena. And one of the biggest moments of transformation for myself was recognizing that I get to choose, that I have the power to choose. And that fundamental shift created a fundamental shift in my life. And just everything you just said, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's so wonderful to hear to hear you speak about that. Talking about purpose and life purpose, you haven't necessarily said my purpose is or my life purpose is. Do you know what your life purpose is? And in what ways does your work allow you to express that? My work definitely allows me to express it. So my purpose is to enable and empower others to realize their full potential. And I've had the the opportunity to do that in my work around talent acquisition and coaching and leadership development and as an HR business partner, as an entrepreneur, and now in leading diversity, inclusion, and belonging here, I get to do it as part of not only the world's largest professional network, but perhaps one of the most compassionate organizations on the face of this planet. And waking up to our vision of creating economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce is not only the most noble purpose, it is the most powerful purpose because it speaks to a law of abundance. It speaks to creating a world where we all win. And often the underlying context of diversity and inclusion is that in order for someone to win, someone else has to lose. I don't believe that. Mm. This world is not only big enough for all of us, the power and providence of successful companies is that it grows opportunity for everyone in the company. And I really love that we are at the forefront of not only providing those opportunities and sharing those opportunities through the networks, providing the knowledge to build skills to access those opportunities, our own awareness and recognition that it means that it's not just what we do on the platform, but what are the things we're doing to really help people who don't have access to opportunities be a part of the future? And so the work we're doing around closing the network gap, our work around certainly the economic graph, our constant creation of new intelligence around what people need to be successful and what companies can do to find the best talent and what we can do to ensure greater access to those opportunities for diverse talent is really a dream come true. You're talking a lot about, obviously, our company, LinkedIn, and then also just outside in the world. How do you impact the rest of the world? And I'm curious just, you know, to flip this on its head a little bit, what is hard about what you're doing? That's a really good question. 
you know, what's hard about what I'm doing is that I can't do it alone. So there are a lot of people to enroll in this process of how we create these opportunities. Outside of LinkedIn, really not different. Before coming to LinkedIn, I was working in the diversity space as a leader as well. I'm a social network analyst by training, and it was probably about 20 years ago that I realized that the biggest challenge for talent that may be marginalized, whether it's women or underrepresented groups or LGBT population, has always been the network they have. Mm. And so prior to coming to LinkedIn, a lot of my work was around coaching emerging talent to look at not just how smart they were, how much experience they had, but what was the network they had that actually provided the necessary social capital to convert the next opportunity, whether it was a promotion or a new job or a development or stretch assignment that would provide um, new skills and new experiences. So in many ways, what I do at work and what I do outside of work kind of mm. all fall into the same playing mm. field. Yeah, it's interesting because you said social capital. I have a close friend in social impact. We talk a lot about privilege and so much of privilege that isn't recognized outside of underrepresented minorities and everyone else who's kind of falls into that diversity area is having people around you that are literally able to uplift you because they've also been uplifted and the last generation was uplifted. And it's fascinating to me to kind of look at that and be really sober about the fact that that exists in the world. It's been unique to the formula of any form of social justice and social activism around. For the LGBT community, the ability to attain marriage equality here in the United States came as a result of allies, people who saw that being gay wasn't a threat, mm -hmm. people who saw that being trans meant we need to do things differently to make sure that a trans person can have medical benefits because they were excluded from most medical insurance plans up until the Affordable Care Act was introduced. And so our own systems of inclusion and exclusion have marginalized people, which is where this work around diversity and inclusion isn't just about how do you bring in more women or people of color? It's how do you create systems and processes and services that don't discriminate mm -hmm. against people because as human beings, we should all have access to health care. We should all have the ability to be fully educated. We should all have the ability to rent a home and up-level ourselves and our lives and our communities. And quite frankly, our systems, our laws, in many ways, the things that we hold to as the true north for right and wrong are skewed and discriminate against groups of people. And so social capital becomes critical because it's about those who not only have the privilege, but those who have the influence. When they see the power to create opportunity, they enable, they open the doors, they're willing to right the systemic wrongs so that we're individuals who come from the disabled community or people who are underrepresented because they're black or Latino or from other communities that aren't regarded as having the same privileges or, or same, op same capabilities actually get recognized for having the full potential mm -hmm. to contribute as well. Mm -hmm. 
So much of what we spoke about today is relationships and the power of relationships. Why do you think we all need each other? At the most basic level, what are you wanting people to know about the value of relationships? None of us can do it alone. <laughs> and I think the the false premise is that our individuality can surmount anything. Mm. I think it's very true that we have to create self-motivation and we have to recognize the power of self before we can grant to others. But I think as human beings, an important part of how we fulfill our talents is how we create the gift of contributing to others and how we accept the gift of others contributing to us. And that, in essence, becomes the alchemy of possibility. We create not from sameness. We create from our differences. And when our differences come together, it creates a new possibility that we all can be a part of that's not possible for just the one. Hmm. I mean, this is, yeah, this has been incredible. Um, We're going to start to kind of wrap up as much as I don't want to. And what I wanted to pull back to is at the beginning, you asked our listeners, how do they adapt in a changing world? And what you told us before this was that this is actually an acronym. So we would love for you to share that and tell us, you know, what is it and how can people apply it in their lives? ADAPT is an acronym that I developed when I had my consulting practice because I recognize that as human beings, we struggle. And often our struggle is a struggle of how do I get ahead? How do I develop new skills? How do I create that next opportunity for myself or my community? The acronym ADAPT represents awareness of self and others because diversity begins in that journey of knowing thyself in order to know others, to see what those differences are, to appreciate those differences, and to respect those differences. The D in ADAPT is determining what matters most. And sometimes we place things over relationships, and we transact in our day-to-day lives with other people. Determining what matters most is about what are you really given to, what is it that is important to you, and how do you maintain the integrity around that? If relationships and the people you care about are important, what do you do to honor those relationships every day? The second A in ADAPT is acknowledging reality. If we live our lives in shoulda, woulda, couldas, uh, we find that we don't experience being present. We don't have the ability to appreciate what is and what's so. And reality can be really powerful for how you create the next step in your life to take action. The P is planning for accountability, and it's really important. We can create plans, but if we're not accountable for the plans we create, it's good likelihood we will do nothing. And the T is trusting self and trusting others. It's not sufficient to trust oneself. And if we put people continuously in the position of having to earn trust with us, we'll lead very lonely lives. Trust is something that we give freely. And it's not to say that we don't have the right to take it back, but when we don't give trust, we limit our own potential, we limit our own abilities, and we fail to see the abilities of others to realize their greatness. So to our listeners, in a changing world, how do you adapt using Rosanna's 
Brilliant acronym there. Thank you so much for sharing. Rosanna, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you for all the wisdom that you shared today. It means the world to Leah and I, to our listeners. Thank you for everything. To our listeners, thanks for joining us on this journey. If you are craving more of In the Arena, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast app. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you both.